Sovereign is known for providing the world's best and most accurate parsing products. And now, based on that technology, comes Sovereign's artificial intelligence matching and scoring software. In fractions of a second, receive match results that provide candidates scored by fit to job, and just as importantly, the jobs fit to the candidate. Make faster and better placements. Find out more about our suite of products today by visiting Sovereign.com. That's S-O-V-R-E-N.com. We provide technology that thinks, communicates, and collaborates like a human. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? You know who it is. It's the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Alongside with me is my co-host, Chad Sowash. Hello. And today, we are super excited to welcome Fred Goff. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's my favorite SNL character. You're spending the night with Fred Yarvin. Male <laughs> you just no? you just aged you aged us out of uh, about a, a third of the demographics that usually listen to us. Fred, welcome to the show, man. Where does the podcast find you today? Thanks, guys. This is um, great to be here. Um, you are finding me actually at the first day. I'm actually at 201 Broadway, Cambridge, Massachusetts, in Job Case headquarters. In I'm the office. Person, in the office. The only person because the office is technically still closed, but. I had an occasion to be here, and so I thought I'll talk to Chad and Cheese from the office. Yeah, how long are you going to stay shut down? Are you doing like a uh, Google-style not reopening until 2032 or something? <laughs> yeah, it might be. We we went remote on March 12th, I think. Um, we kind of put a color code in um, to make it uh, kind of easy. And one, um, the color code we went to is red, so n- nobody comes in right now. Um, we have told the team kind of early on back in April, we told the team, um, we have this yellow color code, which is we, uh, that's where if you, um, uh, we would staff the office, um, and be here, but you don't have to be. And we've already said, there's no situation where you would have to choose to come to work. You should feel free independently to work from home or wherever you want for the rest of the year. That said, um, I expect that post Labor Day, We'll probably open up in some small fashion um, and staff uh, support for the office in some small fashion. And it's probably more about independent work. I, I think, guys, that, you know, we have 30,000 square feet of space here. And there's an awful lot of folks that are based in Boston that might enjoy having some some space to work instead <laughs> of at home. So I think yes. that it it absolutely won't be a mandate to come work at the headquarters, but we think it can be something that uh, a lot of folks might enjoy if we can get it running again. And, and you're not in the low rent district, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a good lease to sign. <laughs> We're more expensive where we are than midtown Manhattan. We're right next to the uh, computer science, artificial intelligence lab at MIT by design. And that's pretty expensive real estate. Yeah, so you can go ahead and, and abduct those computer scientists uh, whenever you need them. Yeah, yeah, they're all they're all busy trying to protect us from the next election results and making sure they're honest. So I'll get them after the first Tuesday of November. We need them to focus on the right stuff. So they're practicing their Russian right now. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. 
What do you think about remote moving forward, especially for your team, the end of the year, kind of partitioning that off. But when everything opens back up, we've seen so many companies talk about they're going to reduce their footprint. Uh, obviously, it does save overhead and, and a, not a low rent district that you're in. Uh, what are your thoughts about that in offering more remote kind of uh, ability? Um well, that's a question of the hour, isn't it? So that's a good one. Um, and my only hesitation is we do this in consultation with my team and people in culture. But in in general, I am among the CEOs in the country who prior to COVID um, was uh, concerned about remote um, in terms of we get so much benefit from getting people together, et cetera. And post-COVID, have really understood how productive remote work can be. And um, it can open up our talent base outside of the Boston community. So we're absolutely going to see an adjustment. I don't see a reduction in footprint. I see we're all going to be using our space differently. So I don't see, um, you know, uh, we're going to still appreciate the 30,000 square feet we have and probably even expand um, eventually. But I do see different cadences of work. I, I see um, probably uh, more autonomy and people deciding whether they want to work remote or in the office. But I suspect we'll get to some normal cadence where number of days a week, you really want everybody in for those uh, ideation sessions and whiteboards and other days, it's more optional and more autonomy. Um, definitely going to be different, but I, I'm i not on the side of it's great to be remote 100%. I really miss having my team. I miss the feedback. I think organizations need the glue. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, sort of job case wise from, a, from an employer perspective, I'm curious about what you're saying uh, as a site. So my my assumption would be you know, 40 million newly unemployed people that you guys need more servers or cloud Explosion. space to handle all the traffic. But uh, hearing it from me, what do you, what's your take on uh, what you guys are seeing traffic wise? Uh, is there certain segments that surprise you? What's going on with that? So the surprise was in the second quarter. So as you guys well know, the normal physics of the labor markets are as unemployment rates go up, activity of, of, uh, uh, on the consumer side, job seeker, workers, employees, whatever your perspective uh, rises. This was um, this overnight depression level we had actually saw traffic drop across the industry, um, not just us everywhere. I think we had less drop than others, but we were that is not the normal physics of the market. And initially, conjecture was the extraordinary unemployment insurance support was having people stay sidelined. That's not our view as the dust settles. Our view is that the inventory of jobs and other content that that companies like ours and others used to provoke interest and access had just plummeted. I mean, there was just nothing. And, and so how many times do you tell someone about the same three or four jobs and and that activity was down as activity picks up going into the third quarter? We're seeing traffic really just start to skyrocket again. But the surprise was um, the absence of uh, traffic in April and May when one would have thought that that would run through. But it, it, who knows? Maybe some as a dust settles, guys, maybe that's also part of the lockdown. Maybe it's also part of COVID concerns. But um, I think that's in the rearview mirror. And I think normal physics of labor markets move forward much the same that in the middle of it, you wondered why crude could settle negative on uh, the exchange, and now it's back to normal normal markets in crude. I think the dislocations are done, and we're back to kind of normal normal physics. And how about from an employer perspective or customer perspective? What are your, what sort of your takeaways from from the last few months? Pleasantly surprised that the activity on the employer side for us is is higher than last year. 
um, and um, and continues to grow. I think that uh, we're fortunate. We kind of focus on enterprise and agency and staffing and um, uh, very strong in employers that hire large volumes at scale. And that tends to be a lot of ETAIL related, transportation related. Um, and so that is kind of went on fire in the second quarter and continues in the third. Um, I think the uh, listeners of yours and some of our friends that focus on smaller business and hospitality and restaurant, that must be a lot tougher in the COVID era. But I think what's comforting to anybody who's in the labor marketplace as a business, which I think is a lot of your listeners, is that um, the activity of employers uh, using resources and tools to staff their firms, that continues. We don't see a trend of with high unemployment, people are just waiting for organic applications and not interacting with the, the marketplace as we know it. it it appears that the uh, activity is actually increasing, not decreasing to get more effective and efficient. And I think that's positive for everyone, employers, job seekers, and uh, intermediaries alike. Now, are companies coming to you that uh, you haven't seen before? What we're hearing from vendors right now is, is many companies are trying to warp speed their tech so that they can scale better later. Uh, that's that's a really pressing question, Chad. I, we are, quite frankly, We've had um, a very large step function in our number of relationships and our depth of relationships in, in many different employer side of the equation. And our perception is it's based on two dominant themes from us. One is we, we do have a tremendous amount of scale that we've achieved and, and there's not a lot of players out there with the scale that we're able to leverage for folks. And the second one is, you know, the front pages of every paper are starting to talk about the talking points job case has been championing for five years. We've been talking about worker value and frontline value and, and uh, better treatment, whether it's uh, benefits coverage for 1099 or pass the living wage for hourly workers. We can keep going through this. We even are obviously strongly on, on uh, a proponent of, of Black Lives Matter and racial justice issues. And as, as these issues come to the forefront, um, I think and I hope that one of the reasons we're gaining some traction is people understand that we have authenticity in, um, in these concerns. And I, I think that we have helped. I, I had one CHRO reach out and he said to me, uh, guys, he said, it's really interesting comment. He called up and he said he had heard some podcast, maybe yours. Let's, let's say it was uh, Chad and T. Of course it was. Yeah, let's recut that. <laughs> Hell yeah. And um, he had actually called from Europe and they've got a U.S. operation. And he said, he called me, he said, because or he called job case. He said, they have a bunch of frontline workers that were working throughout the second quarter because they're in food prep in this business, big Fortune 500 business. And he's thinking they just can't treat them. They can't call them heroes during the second quarter of COVID and then treat them the same way they did before afterwards. What can they do to help people with skills and upskills and a whole bunch of questions? And, and he had called us with ideas because he knows we've been thinking about that for a while. We've been doing things with Joe Fuller at Harvard and stuff. And so my point is, I think that our authenticity about really caring about workers is also uh, right for the moment as well. And so, yeah, we have a lot of new relationships. And if anyone's listened to this, we welcome more. You point out a very, very important topic around essential or heroes, right? It, it's hard to look at somebody and say, well, they're just doing this job one minute and then the next call them a hero. And mm -hmm. then try to think that th that just goes away, that they're not essential anymore, that they're not quote unquote a hero anymore. So the big question is for employers, and, and we've talked about this on the show, we've seen employers drive wages up and add wages during during this uh, this danger pay kind of s scenario but then 
take it away. Job case being a community, do the actual job casers talk about this? Is is there are there topics that are that are actually trending because of this on job case? What does the community actually do to pretty much pull people together and then pers- prospectively advocate for them? Well, a couple thoughts on that. Um, a lot of the advocacy is is kind of our responsibility. So we we tend to think in step one, empower people individually. And given the scale we have, how do we leverage that scale to advocate for workers? So in as an example, pre-COVID in February 14th, Delta Airlines had a windfall bonus they distributed to their employees. Now, last September, Jamie Dimon on JP Morgan in the Business Roundtable got 100 and some CEOs to say it's about stakeholder value, not shareholder value going forward. We love that statement. But that same year, J.P. Morgan did a $40 billion shareholder buyback. And, and our thought is, well, you could have taken 20% of that, $8 billion, and distributed it as a windfall bonus, and you'd still have $32 billion for shareholders. We're not saying one versus the other, but one with the other. And those individual employees of J.P. Morgan could have taken a 35000 bonus home, which means a ton to a frontline teller. So when Delta does it proactively, what we did is we took out a national campaign, not telling our membership to work for Delta. I mean, of course we did that, but the point was fly Delta. The point was let's reward uh, employers who treat workers well with consumer dollars. And so that is something that we're doing to advocate. In terms of the conversation in the community, I would love to say this is the, the point, Chad. I would love to say that Target did it permanently and moved to 15 bucks and People are celebrating that in the community, but but the reality is people are hurting, and a lot of our community is surfacing the anxiety of of the pain. You know, we you saw I think we communicated through social media. You and I, in the same week, there's an article about you know mansions and pools selling in Greenwich, and and they're talking about all these bonuses on Wall Street, and the government stepped in and protected the investor class by basically dropping and the size of the Japanese economy into the markets. And meanwhile, 33% of our, our, our fellow citizens aren't paying their rent on time in July. And that's with the UI. And so we're looking at this 11% unemployment, but I don't, I don't think these stats are right, guys. Um, we have one state that we're pretty close to and we were talking to the other day, and I asked them how many unemployment checks uh, they've sent out. This is a pretty senior person in the governor's office of a state. And the number they gave me is three times the amount that was in the BLS number. And, and I don't think this is conspiracy theory. I don't think it's tinfoil hat. What I think is, as a guy who's used to trade on these numbers and, and now watches them in a different capacity, these surveys, these methodologies for the national unemployment, they, they're made for relative gauges. They're made for incremental steps. They're not made for Massachusetts to go from 2.8 in February to 18% in May. It's, the methodologies aren't catching up yet. And so the community isn't yet talking about the employers that are doing the right thing and realizing in the moment, treat people better, keep treating them after. We're advocating for that. The community is trying to figure out how the heck they can get their next paycheck and are they going to lose their job if they still have one? Well, not the best segue, but I, I want to pivot to this, uh, Fred. We, uh, we, we got you on the show primarily because there was a, a news release from July 9th earlier in the month, and uh, it talked about you guys getting new funding. And, and Chad and I talked about it on the show, and there was some confusion about what exactly happened. Uh, I know Workday uh, Ventures was involved. So the primary reason you're on the show, and, and we're obviously obviously talking about other things, but can you clear up the news and what happened uh, for our listeners who 
got to hear us bumble over what exactly happened. Give us the guys. dirt, man. Give us the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have the opportunity, but I'm I'm even happier that you said this is the primary reason to get on the show. At the opening, I thought the primary reason was to call me a male prostitute. So this is a serious step up. So thank you. For well, that's that. better than a Steelers fan, right? Oh, come on, brother. <laughs> come on. Yins are wrong on that. Yins are, you know, Browns fan. Come on, Steelers. Um, for those who don't know, I'm a big Steelers fan, so there you go. Sure, happy to say this. This is a huge inflection point for our company, and, and we're really excited about it. There were three things that happened in a capital transaction that we announced at the end of the second quarter, uh, or three components of it. Um, one component is we have had a, a dominant shareholder that helped us make a transition from the hedge fund years ago into the consumer internet space and has been a, a strong partner. We really appreciate when we made the conversion in 2014 to launching JobCase and this mission-driven company. They have been looking to uh, the right time for them to make an exit. That's a long time to to stand aside one company for um, uh, uh, that kind of a mission from a, a firm like them. At the same time, Providence Strategic Growth, which is just a fabulous partner of ours, great character bet, great ability of helping companies scale um, and, and a great track record, is, it was interested in owning and stepping up and having a stronger stake in, in JobCase. So part of the transaction was between the two of them where Providence Strategic Growth has, and that was part of the announcement, taken um, a larger uh, majority ownership in the company. And we saw one friend um, say so long for now and, and uh, another friend step up. The second part of the transaction was uh, a $30 million primary raise, they call it, which meant the company took $30 million onto our own balance sheet. And that is a combination. Uh, the deal was a combination of Providence Strategic Growth. And as you mentioned, the third part of the announcement is Workday Ventures. And so a change of uh, a dominant shareholder, $30 million invested additionally to that into the company, and then um, welcoming Workday into our uh, ownership structure. And what we're really excited about, I think one of the things that drove it was um, a lot of appreciation and empathy for our mission. When we talk with Workday and we talk with PSG, it's not just about empowering workers and, and this moment that we were just talking about, but also a vision of where labor marketplaces should go. We've been uh, advocating for a long time about removing friction, about um, basically this platform to manage the future of work with how people have to take the reins of control in their own hand. You have to have one place where there has to be co-ownership of data. The employer can own your data, but you have to own it too. And you should have the right to surface it how you want. So the concept that we have a community to support you and this mechanism to try to be an agnostic platform to remove friction and kind of labor marketplace appealed to both Workday and PSG. And, and uh, I think the three of us together are very aligned to do one, lean into a lot of the product development and motions and um, uh, and that includes products for employers and agencies and staffing that are trying to access our community. But two, work really closely with Workday on that latter part I just said. I think that we have been a firm that since we were started, our focus, we go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning thinking about our members, thinking about workers, thinking about employees. And um, to have a partner at the table like Workday that can help us interact with all of their client partners and and uh, a lot of the projects they have. It's just really exciting, not just to have their their insights in the boardroom, but also to think about where we can um, find new partnerships to uh, remove that friction between employer and employee. So Fred, not too long ago, you guys raised uh, $100 million. And now you have, it sounds like, 
uh, investors competing to be majority owners, for God's sakes. It doesn't sound like a, a bad problem to have. Am I getting this wrong? <laughs> there are- Like an episode of The Bachelor over at Job Case. <laughs> Jesus. There are people out there in this country struggling with a lot worse issues than we have. But I think that the I think the stakes are high now, uh, Chad and Joel. I, I think that, you know, we- What's fun about our day job, I'm, I'm just so appreciative of the job case employees. Like, it's just, it, it, it's hard for everybody. Everybody's listening to this. this. This 2020 is a tough year. And we have people just working so incredibly hard. And, and yes, we're proud that the business might be growing. And yes, we love the new partners. But what's rewarding is watching what's happening in community. We had a team because we replatformed technology last year with some of that investment from that 100 million round, you said, um, we were able to stand up an unemployment center in, in like two weeks that has been really helpful for a lot of our members to navigate this. So many people don't even have their checks, even now, like, how do you deal with that? And then um, to surface opportunities, you know, we, we have this lady, Evelyn Masong on our site as an example. And okay, she lost her job, but she's able to identify through somebody in the community and talking about this call center certificate. And next thing you know, she's got two work from home offers she's been productive and she's got a new skill and moving forward. And so that's really what drives. And so I think when we, when we have that mission and, and when you look at the moment, it's hard to see how that won't be relevant for the next few years. Um, there's a lot of people that want to join that and we welcome partners, uh, anybody who's going to come to this fight that we can help um, or want to join us in any way or partner in any way. If we can do something to help people that are going to be navigating a really difficult work life for the next few years, boy, we would love to work with you or partner with you. And, and in some cases, um, take your investment and put it in our balance sheet to uh, secure our ability of succeeding. So I love the, the working with and partnering with. And uh, Chad and I, as, as you as well, are seeing a lot of carnage in our industry. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll see more and more carnage going uh, going through the next uh, into 2021. So I'm not going to ask you who's on your acquisition list or who's on the M&A uh, shortlist, but I am curious about, are you seeing uh, an increase in companies coming to you uh, to try to partner or, or try to you know get get your money and buy the company? Are you more aggressive in terms of looking at potential deals out there? What are you seeing from your your C-suite? There's a number of spaces in in our industry, if you define it as talent acquisition or labor marketplace, that was pretty active at looking for capital transactions in 2019. You're absolutely right, Joel. It's like that activity is really high in 2020. A lot of conversations going on. So yes, and there's a velocity of intentions of conversations happening pretty, pretty high. Our perspective is, yes, we are interested at, at considering growth uh, on multiple fronts. You know, you kind of short phrase it to build by. Um, and but the fun is I don't have extraordinary expertise in that. When I was on the street, that's not what I did. Um, my CFO uh, comes from Bain. She's extremely well versed in this. And Providence Strategic Growth has just an incredible team on this. Um, and I, I could not as a if you have any entrepreneurs or any founders on this call, I could not speak higher of them as a partner in terms of a, if you need a, a thought partner to talk to. So I'm yeah. I'm going to rely on our CFO and our friends at Providence to help frame that for us. We're definitely interested. And you're right. There is a large amount of activity. Just make sure PR is circled on that so that the Chad and Cheese podcast knows about any acquisitions that take place. Well, I think you guys are the only people I've talked to about uh, this transaction. So we, we've set a precedent <laughs> here, I think. Hell yeah! Fred, we appreciate you taking time. Uh, we know that you, you didn't just go in the office for us. We understand that, but we hope that you <laughs> enjoy your time alone in the office. And if 
people want to find out more about JobCase, partnership, investment, or maybe they just want to find a job. Yeah. Uh, where, where should they go? Well, you said it, brother. JobCase.com. You can send me a message direct. Um, uh, FJ Goff at JobCase.com if you uh, are off the site. And uh, I just closed. Let me say that that um, you give me this chance of saying something. It This notion of it's hard out there for people, it, this is no small thing. The inequality is increasing just dramatically. The potential for social unrest is just going to be dramatic. Our federal government isn't going to do much about it. But everybody listening here, I know you have a really powerful audience. I know your audience is actually a little more powerful than what they probably give themselves credit for. You know, um, scrub the the job listings you have. Do you really need those degree requirements? Can you look for skills and widen the pool of candidates you're looking at beyond the fact that they're blocked from getting FAFSA funding or, or a community that put them into a four-year degree? Um, little things like that. Can you um, can you make the move to thinking about being the person in the room using technology to replace a task, not a job? Can you can you do something in your part of the world to help this unemployment rate, to help workers? If if we do this decentralized, guys, we can actually try to lessen the pain here, but it's not going to come from federal government or coordination. It's obvious. But I think your community, you got agencies, you got employers, you have this incredible community that can just start to move the needle and, um, you know, one more hire, one less hard requirement that's unnecessary can start to move the needle. So I just would encourage everyone to, that's, that might still be listening after this to say, what can you do this week that could even help one person? And uh, if everybody on this show can do that, that will have a material impact. And uh, let's just keep that going forward. Amen, Fred. Amen. Well said. Well Damn. said. With authority, Fred Goff. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, guys. Always love talking with you. You betcha. You got it, man. We out. Go Brownies. We out. Thank you for listening to podcasts with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.